Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Good perspective from up here. It's been a while. The faith, that is the Christian faith, and the Christian's faith. One uses the word as a noun, and one uses the word as a verb. They're both appro appropriate and important. And uh, working through what the faith is, hopefully, does an excellent job of encouraging us to trust those promises. So recognizing the faith is our first step in actually doing the faithing, the believing, the trusting. This is Abraham's experience as well. God had laid out for him a plan back in chapter 12. God had laid out for him that he was going to be leaving his uh, homeland, what he had known all his life, and he was going to be following the Lord. He was going to get out of his boat, and he was going to walk on water. Uh, he wasn't going to walk on water. He was going to walk on sand, but, but for Abraham, it was essentially the same enterprise of trusting and keeping his eyes very much focused on his Savior so that his journey would be fruitful and productive. What fruit? Well, family, a place of rest. The ongoing promise that from him, the Lord was going to fulfill the promise that he had given to Adam and Eve that there was going to be one particular seed of all of those seeds that would come who would be the one to roll back all of the effects of the serpent, death and hell and sin and rebellion and all the rest. All of that was going to be undone by the capital S seed that the Lord was going to send through one of the ch children born to a woman in the future. But now Abraham was going to take up his role, his part in that process, and, and he had to get on the move. So he had a promise. Well, he got that promise initially when he was 75 years old. Now in our text today, he's right around 90 years old. Oh, my. And so he's kind of taken aback initially by the Lord's first words to him. Abraham, I am your shield. I'm your protection. I am everything you need to be supported in this life. And Abraham says, yeah, but I don't have any kids yet. <laughs> you promised me some 15 or more years ago. How's it going up there? Because it, down here, nothing's changing. The only thing that's been different is Abraham has relocated. And along the way, he stopped by Damascus and picked up Eliezer. Eliezer's a good man with a pencil. He's an excellent manager. He's got the household running wonderfully. He's got every bit of the budget balanced. It's a good man. And he too has come under the protection of Abraham. He trusts in the promises of God. Can't, can't he be the heir? I mean, I've already had to decide some matters of my affairs because who knows how long I'm going to live. But the Lord responds, no. No, 
a child is going to be born from your own body, that there is going to be a son. He is going to carry on the promise, and there will come a day when another babe is born in Bethlehem who will be the Savior of the world. But for now, hold tight. Well, Lord, how am I supposed to take you at your word? And this is the quandary, isn't it? This is the quandary we have, too, because we are waiting for the Lord to fulfill the promises that he has given to us as well. Some things have been done, but some things remain to be done. And so how do we have our faith, our trusting, supported? It is by this ongoing, ongoing intervention of the word of the Lord's promises coming to us over and over and over again, so that when we are tempted to set aside what the Lord has said, he reminds us how each piece is important, how each piece fits into the marvelous mosaic of promises that he has provided, and that all find their illumination in Jesus of Nazareth, the Christ, the Son of the living God as the Holy Spirit points him out to us and says, there, there is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, we have more details than Abraham had. You can see those details in the Apostles' Creed that we confessed already this morning. We have details about what Jesus' life was like and what he accomplished and his going to the cross and his rising from the dead. Abraham was, held, was told to hold fast to what he knew and to what he had. We are told the same. For each of us, for both of us, whether here or then, whether now or there, we are saved by God's grace through trust, through faith in his promises, in the very words and promises that God has provided. So there's really no difference in that regard except for the fact that the timeline has progressed a few thousand years, and the Lord has worked out some of these things in a few more details that we are now privy to. But already then, what the Lord said, Abraham trusted. And verse 6 of chapter 15 in Genesis gives us the, the ultimate gift. He believed the Lord and he, the Lord, counted it to him, Abraham, as righteousness. That trust, that faith in the very word that God had said, you will have a son. This man will not be your heir, but your heir will come from you. That very word of promise, that this land would be a, a place of rest for you, and that the promise that I gave to Adam and Eve about a Savior who is going to come is going to come through your very own line, so that all the nations will know where to look for that Savior. Those promises come together to form Abraham's creed. Now, he doesn't have all that we have as far as suffered under Pontius Pilate and crucified, died, and was buried, but he has quite a bit. He has quite a lot to hold on to. First of all, the, the memory of the perfect Garden of Eden, that, that God's very intention was that we be his own perfect people, that we would be in fellowship with him, and that that's what all of this is, again, 
moving towards and the trajectory of this is for the new creation that God would be able to look out over all of his people again and say it is good. Abraham knew and trusted that that promise was where he was headed. And uh, Hebrews tells us that this journey that Abraham was on, he realized that even as he had reached the promised land, the Lord, the place where God had, had set aside for him, that there was still more to be received, more gift to be unpacked. And that that was going to move on further and further along the way. If God has promised us fellowship with him in heaven forever, we may imagine, like the folks in Field of Dreams in Iowa, that this is heaven on earth. Or we may recognize that there are still a few challenges, not just because we're here in St. Robert or Crocker or Dixon or somewhere else close by, but because the world, the world is not yet remade. The world is not perfect. There is this deep, divided brokenness that impacts our lives every single day. It impacts not only the outside, but it impacts our hearts as well and challenges us to trust something other than what God has promised. Abraham had that same challenge. Time didn't seem to be on his side. He'd lived with a promise for 15 years and no go. Well, what about Eliezer? Can't we just kind of reshape the promise so that it can fit the circumstances? Can we just reshape God's word so that it fits our inclinations at the moment, at the time, in the time in which we live? Wouldn't it be nice if we could just take a look at everything that's going on in the world around us and, and baptize it all and say, oh, well, you know, if if it's happening, it must be under the will and direction of God. Otherwise, it, it wouldn't be happening at all. But that's not what the Lord calls Abraham to. And it's not what he calls us to. He calls us to have a firm and steadfast memory. And a firm and steadfast appreciation and holding on to the word of the Lord. And to allow us to be capable readers, not only of scripture, but capable readers of culture around us, and to hear where the false gods are speaking, and to have a good antenna and proper attunement to what the word of the Lord is and how it speaks in those circumstances. This is where clinging to scripture and not just as a matter of having it on the shelf or even having it just kind of open on an end table somewhere, but reading, marking, learning, and inwardly digesting exactly what it is that the Lord God has said, promised, and guides us to look forward to. What is he given and what does he promise there? And so, over the course of some many weeks and months, it's worthwhile to take a look again at what God has given and what he has provided for us to hold on to so that we are well equipped 
to hear the voices around us exactly for what they are. More words of the serpent, as God truly said. As God said, you can't have anything around. Oh, God told us not to even touch the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Otherwise, we'll die. Ah, but you won't die. And there's the lie, isn't it? God knows that you'll be like him. God knows that you can be just as perfect as he is, that you can know good and evil as well as he can, and that you can be creators yourselves of brand new worlds in which creation can flourish in brand new ways. As soon as the sin is committed, the division between humanity and God takes hold, and our minds become cloudy. And our minds and hearts don't listen as closely anymore, and certainly not intuitively anymore. And so God intervenes. He comes to us by this very written, spoken, and sacramental word to make us proper hearers of his promises, to, to open ears that have gone deaf. And with that word going in appropriately, it can come out appropriately as well. And tongues that have been all tied up can be loosed so that we can not only be believers, but also confessors and, be, and proclaimers of what the Lord has given to be cherished by every single human being. And that's not unimportant as well. This word is not just for people who already know and believe it. It is God's address to all creation from the littlest to the greatest, every living and moving being, that they would honor and know the promises and participation in God's own life for them. And so I encourage you to take hold of the secondary handout that's given to you today. These first seven questions of the small catechism, and if you wouldn't be so, if you would be so kind as to Reply with the answers as I speak the questions. Don't worry about the scripture passages at this point, but just the, uh, the first line of the answer each time. What is the Christian faith? The Christian faith is the confession that Jesus Christ is the world's only Savior and Redeemer. Who is Jesus Christ? Jesus is true God and true man in one person. He is the eternal Son of the Father, conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary, to be our Savior and Lord. This God, who became flesh in the person of the Son, Jesus Christ, is the only true God, the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And what has this one God done? God made all things and loves his creation especially his human creatures. Beginning with our first parents, all humanity has rebelled against him and fallen into darkness, sin, and death. God the Father sent his only son into the world to become man and to redeem and save humanity by his death and resurrection. God sent his spirit so that people might once again be his own through faith in his son, Jesus who is the world's only hope, life, and salvation. 
what is a Christian? A Christian is someone who, by the power and work of the Holy Spirit, through the word of God, believes in and confesses Jesus as Savior and Lord. Through baptism, a Christian is adopted into the Father's family, the church. What does it mean to confess Jesus Christ as my Lord? To confess Jesus as my Lord means that I trust in him and in death as my Savior and my God. His death and resurrection have atoned for all my sins and assured me of my resurrection to eternal life. I am his own and want to live for him. Where do we learn about Jesus? God's truth about Jesus Christ is made known in the Bible and is its central message. We call this truth the gospel, namely the promise of the forgiveness of sin for Jesus' sake. And finally, what is the Bible? The Bible gathers together the writings of God's chosen prophets and apostles over a period of more than a thousand years. Through the Holy Spirit, God himself gave these writers the thoughts and words they recorded, verbal inspiration, such that the Bible is God's word. For this reason, the scriptures are both infallible, incapable of error, and inerrant containing no mistakes. Holy Scripture is therefore entirely reliable and gives us everything we need to know and believe for the Christian faith and life. I would posit to you that there are challenges throughout the conversation that people in our day are having at every one of these seven points. And that we, as the people of God, are called to confess that these things are absolutely true. First of all, because the Lord has spoken these things, and second of all, that he has seen fit to record these things for posterity in his scriptures, so that his word has the opportunity to have its impact on every generation and for every person, so that every aspect of our own memories, of our own proclamation, of what we hear from others, from what we hear even from what we imagine to be trusted sources can be compared to what the Lord has actually said. And so the scriptures provide that touchstone to keep us together with God's promises in his relationship and in his faith and trust. And so this Christian faith focuses on Jesus Christ. It is the resurrection of Jesus that makes all the difference. There have been all kinds of people who have provided wisdom to people and provided teaching in the world. And all kinds of people have had fantastic, wonderful things to say for which we could be thankful and grateful. There have been all kinds of people who have shared great steps for successful living in the world. Jesus rose from the dead. He has defeated the enemy that engulfs all of humanity. He is the one who's not only risen from the dead, but lives and reigns to all eternity. He is not just a fantastic, wise person that maybe can bring us good nuggets for making life successful. He is the one who has in his hands 
the judgment for eternal life. He is the one who has gathered us into knowing, loving, and trusting God through his spirit so that we can know our Lord intimately, certainly, and surely. Without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, everything, everything falls apart completely. Because though he is risen from the dead and is even now speaking to us through these scriptural words to call us into faith with him and with his Holy Spirit, by, by the Holy Spirit with the Father, these things are true. Everything else must be evaluated by what Jesus, by what the Father has spoken. This is the touchstone of all things that is true. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. And so because of what he has accomplished and because he himself supports and confirms this very word that he has delivered through his prophets and through his apostles, we can know the veracity, the truthfulness of what he has given to us. And we can trust that God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is working for our salvation and for the comfort that we have, even as we are assailed by the various false teachings that the world would present to us, by the various lies that Satan would speak to us, and even by the things that we think might be close to truth, if only we would compare them to what the Bible actually says and what Jesus has given. And so a Christian is a hero. Christian is someone whose ears have been opened by baptism and by the word of the Lord unstopped and who sits at the feet of Jesus. I would invite you to join Peter and James and John and Andrew and the rest of his disciples and apostles and sit at his feet weekly and daily as you read in the scriptures yourselves his holy words and his sure and certain promises so that your own faith can be structured and firmed by his words and so that your words themselves can be open and clear for others. This is how we can know who our Lord is and what he has given. We'll speak again next week more about what the Bible is and what it accomplishes, and we'll speak more about what this uh, summary statement of all the good gifts of Scripture, whether it be the, the Ten Commandments or the Apostles' Creed or the Lord's Prayer, the Scriptures on Baptism and the Lord's Supper, Confession and Absolution, all of these provide the context in which we confess our faith together. The things that we practice as we come together for this hour of worship. Just as an example, there's that little line in the bulletin right before confessing the faith and right, right before confessing sin and hearing the absolution that says to meditate on the Ten Commandments. Was there anything going on in your mind during that little pause? Was it meditating on the Ten Commandments? Were you considering the things that had gone on over the course of this last week that had and evaluated them on whether or not you were established as worshiping God alone in thought, word, and deed? 
to be equipped to actually make use of the tools that God has given to us so that we can come to the altar faithfully and know what it is that our sins are forgiven and that the resurrection of Jesus is going into us by that own body and blood from his throne to our mouths so that we can have the assurance and hope that we are his children fed at his table now for eternity. These are the gifts he wants to give you so that with all the other words in our ears, we can hear his word and find it both truthful and reliable and comforting. In Jesus' name, amen. The peace of God that passes all human understanding, keep your hearts and minds and faith towards Christ Jesus. Amen.